0: You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas behind your favorite online brands. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Catherine Durier, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here.
0: So, you're the CEO, founder of Year and Day. How do you describe Year and Day these days?
1: Yeah, um, Year and Day is a direct brand in the home space. We currently offer a thoughtful, curated assortment of ceramics, glass, and flatware. Everything you need to set a table you love. Everything is designed by me in California and then made in Europe with high-quality materials, great attention to detail, and craftsmanship. Mm. And we're able to sell that high-quality product at an affordable price through our direct model.
0: I didn't know you were designing them yourself. Why? How did that? <laughs> Are you an industrial designer? How did you? I'm come not to- an
1: industrial designer. Um, it's interesting. The design component of the, of the business has been one of like the surprise pleasures of, of mm. building this company. I I really personally had this problem finding plates that I loved that I could afford, um, high quality flatware that was affordable. And so I, I started to do research on the industry and, and realized there was a big business opportunity. And then um, I let my kind of creative imagination go wild and thought about what would my ideal plate and flatware and hmm. glassware look like and then and what what should decoration be in the modern era and thought a lot about color and glazes and hmm. the matte versus shiny spectrum of glazes and and so yes, I ended up designing our That's products cool. myself. Wow <laughs> not in CAD design I mean I, I do drawings and then I share, you know I, I work with design partners who can, you know, turn those into 3D models that then turn those 3D models into clay prototypes that then turn those clay prototypes into our assortment you see today. But um, color in particular, it took, you know, eight months of back and forth with our partners in Portugal to perfect our glazes. I had very, very specific Mm. colors in mind. And um, it's interesting because when I set out to design something for the brand and, and we're coming out with some new categories in the coming months, you know, I I spend a lot of time marinating on it, and then I sit down, and the design comes to me like pretty much instantaneously.
0: Wow! I went to school for industrial design, actually, (laughs) and and flatware especially is just like kind of known as a playground for industrial designers. Mm. Like in the 20th century, it's just like every. Every major industrial designer that is, like, well-known has done cutlery.
1: Interesting. And,
0: yeah, it's just, like, a thing. Like, from Raymond Lowy to, like, Philippe Stark or whatever, like... Or every famous, like, Scandinavian yeah. d- designer that you... Like, Arne Jacobsen or something like that. Like, there was, like, a whole chapter in, like, history of industrial design was just, was, like, cutlery. Ooh, it,
1: will you send that to me? <laughs> sure. Because, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's
0: basically, like, you know, a chair. Like, you know, there's pretty loose rules around what a chair is like when you're an industrial designer and same for cutlery. So you can kind of like take whatever you want. I mean, obviously, you're if you're trying to make something functional, but sometimes that's not the the goal of the design.
1: Well, so it's interesting because for me, functionality and functionality in our daily lives today was at the forefront of everything that we make it a year and day. And so as a result, I think, you know, the design is really intended to be something that's like, timeless and approachable as mm. well as at home in our contemporary lives and so there aren't features like i imagine somebody with like a who has a calling in industrial design mm. would create something that's more moma worthy interesting making a statement experimenting with the yeah. form and the and the material versus i came to it from this very practical standpoint sure. which is like weight and balance and thickness of the stainless steel to feel luxurious with luxury details like hand-finished fork tines and, and forged knives that are going to make actually like the utilitarian experience of using the flatware the best possible, if that makes sense. And so not being a trained designer nor seeing myself yeah. as like a, uh, a creative, I think I come to it from a slightly less... Uh, pure. <laughs>
0: well, maybe, no, but I think there's like, what I was talking about was sort of this like highfalutin stuff. And yeah. it's, it's often actually, I mean, some of it has been, you know, really mass produced and is, is somewhat timeless on the other, and there's definitely some things like I mentioned, Philippe Stark, Like he's famous also for doing this like juicer that looks like an alien, and it just like <laughs> it's like one of those things. I forget what well, uh, it's a famous uh, Italian company ended up producing it, but it's just like, Alessi, I think. Yeah, it's like an yeah, Alessi the Alessi thing. stuff is really cool. It's just, it, but it's always just like, what do you? You're never gonna like actually you know, juice a lemon on that thing because it's like so impractical. But it's so
1: fun. Yeah, it's so fun. I mean, it's a cool
0: object to have around.
1: Exactly. And your kitchen is actually like, what's so cool about an object like that is the kitchen is now the center of the home. It's Mm -hmm. where you entertain. It's where you spend time. So that juicer, which has functionality and beauty,
0: I don't know if it has functionality, <laughs> you don't know to if be honest. <laughs> I uh, think if you started to press on that, the, le- the legs would come out well, from Well, I under mean, it.
1: this is something that I think about a lot, too, which is like, if you own a juicer, how often do you actually use it?
0: <laughs> and well, it like, depends what you're I guess it depends what you're making. But yeah, if you if that's the juicer that you have, then you're probably not it. You're not using a lot it. You're just like, this
1: is a beautiful object. Yeah. I love having it on display. It makes me happy. It brings me pleasure. When people come over to my home, they see the juicer. They also enjoy its aesthetics. They may ask me a question about it. I love decor for the kitchen in that way. It's kind of a, it's kind of orphaned, even though you know the aesthetic of year and day is not the Alessi aesthetic. like I love Alessi pieces. I love that brand, and they have so many beautiful pieces that I think play in the same you know objective as as our brand.
0: well so there, so what I was, I was going to kind of try and paint a spectrum because I, I think of that as like they're really trying hard to make something that is going to be either like. Yeah. Like you said, it's going to be in the MoMA or something like that, or, you know, or the, uh, yeah, the the design wing. And 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 on the other hand, though, you were talking about still trying to design something timeless. And that's different from, I think, a lot of more lowbrow designed cutlery and ceramics and stuff like that, that you might find a bed, bath and beyond, or that that are very maybe trendy or changing all the time that are more like very short term fashion type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like a happy medium in between that you're trying to strike, it seems like.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, I I really, really love the tableware category. Mm -hmm. And I've used to, you know, kind of walk through old school home department stores and look at, frankly, hundreds of different patterns. And my husband, my in-laws live in Toronto and there's actually a porcelain museum about a block from their house. And so I go there every time I visit them and it like... Walks you through the history of porcelain from, you know, uh, China, then Japan, China and Japan, then you know, Europe, and and also the history of the decoration of the pieces, and so certainly decoration and design and tableware is always a reflection of the area, era, and the materials, et cetera. And yet, I think the decoration that has been the style, kind of prior to the contemporary yeah. moment, has been about hand-painted pieces and that was what was considered luxury and that look it doesn't really fit at home in our more casual mm. homes it's often very feminine rather than gender neutral and I think we're in an era where like you know it almost feels now passé to he's saying this but like in this category it's not addressing like men and women both caring about like how their homes look and about design and design in the kitchen and so when I designed our our ceramics I was thinking about like how how are we going to decorate plates in a way that makes them dishwasher safe mm-hmm. at home in our modern lives but beautiful and also visually distinctive so that it is a piece that when our customers use it they're enjoying the pleasure the aesthetic pleasure of the piece and so for me that was about glazes and I didn't formulate our glazes but I did take a glaze making class when mm-hmm. I first set out to, you know when I decided that that was the route we were going to go and really learned Glaze making is this really, really cool art because it marries art and science sure. in a way that that really excites me. And and so kind of through that process, learned a lot about the different finishes. You know, again, I spoke about the range from like matte to shiny and, and, and we have this distinctive semi-matte glaze, which I love because we spend so much time looking at screens now that mm. I feel like when we're sitting at the table, it's nice to take a respite from the screens and have a more serene and calming atmosphere Mm -hmm. around us. And I think the semi-mat really accomplishes that without taking you to the mat-mat zone, which kind of gets you to that nails-on-a-chalkboard-sometimes vibe, which is a little bit less calming
0: (laughs) yeah well you were saying something about um what was the is it a museum the the place it's a museum what is it called i
1: i i am so embarrassed that i don't know the name it's a but it's a it's a porcelain museum in toronto it's in yorkville and it's fabulous i mean it's if you have i i cannot recommend it enough (laughs) the permanent collection it's so well done and well curated it has this excellent storytelling and you really see like your, you know, history kind of through the lens well, of this category. When I think
0: about like objects, there's a museum, I grew up in Paris. There's a great museum there of objects really wh- over time and just, you know, how things, products and things that we use evolve over time. And I mean, I think plates are probably like one of the oldest objects ever invented. I mean, it's gotta be like, <laughs> when you think about like human life, like it's probably one of the first things when people figured out, I mean, even before they figured out how to make ceramics, they were just like, I need a leaf or I need a, (laughs) you know, piece of bark or something to put my food on. And so that basic concept of like a thing that is flat that you can put food on has existed for tens of thousands of years. And now you're introducing like the, the modern needs. Like you mentioned a bunch of things here. Like it needs to be dishwasher safe. Okay. Dishwasher safe is something that has been invented in the past like 100 years. Like in the past 100 years, we never had dishwasher safe as a high priority for a flat thing that you put food on. Mm -hmm. You mentioned like the glaze being less reflective. You know, maybe that's a design touch that is more important now today than it was like a while back. Or I've been to a lot of like, um, I was randomly, I was in Mexico recently and I was looking at, uh, there's a great museum of anthropology there in Mexico City, which is all the the Mayan and Aztec and stuff. And all of those cultures at the time, like all of that stuff was completely handmade. It was not mass produced. So there was time and opportunity to like intricately design or like create very ornate patterns and stuff like that. So here are the things that and ingredients, I guess, that I'm curious about, like are the other design or functional requirements that you think are really important to like a modern plate of like today that never happened in the past like 20,000 years or something like that?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think we, we worked within the constraints of the materials that are available in the contemporary era. So we did not reinvent Mm clay as like the base level for ceramics for example
0: so i was doing a deep dive and i was like (laughs) what's the difference again between earthware stoneware porcelain (laughs) bone china there's like so many different things there's so
1: many different things and it's really about the composition of the clay and different compositions of clay have different um degrees of hardness Mm -hmm. and also different formats that they lend themselves to decoration of so for example porcelain which has kaolin in it, which is like slightly firmer than ceramic stoneware, which is what year and day is made of. You know, porcelain is historically decorated by being Mm hand-painted. Now there are ways to actually color porcelain by dyeing the actual clay itself. It's called Colored in the Bisque. And brands like Mud Australia actually produce their their plates uh, that way. Um, It's very expensive because you have Mm. to have different Materials for each color because it, you know, by utilizing. You know all of the different molds, et cetera. Yeah. You know. any, Anyway, so I mean, for, I'm having <laughs> a
0: flashback now because I I lived for a short amount of time in in Delft. Do you know Delft? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in Delft okay. for about six months, and Delft is like super well, super well known for its porcelain. Yes, and exactly. Like the, the blue kind yes. of inked, uh, very like handmade style. Which was
1: the first color that really porcelain was decorated with, yeah. and then there was some innovation in paints that then expanded into to some new palettes, which you can see as, at the Toronto Porcelain Museum, kind of the expansion of Gosh, the, the colorway.
0: You're really <laughs> you're really amping it up.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, it's a, it's quite a special place. So, with with when it came to so ceramic so stoneware, ceramic stoneware, which is what year and day plates are are made of, is kind of like second on the hardness scale. And then mm. you get terracotta and um, I'm, I'm escaping the name you just said it, but the the bone china or oh, oh, earthenware, earthenware yeah. kind of and actually bone china did actually have bone mm. matter in it. Wow! And it, it actually so you see can see in bone china it has a different coloration than other porcelain you know it's, it's very it's a little yellower yeah. so some people that comes down to an aesthetic choice i think when i was thinking about the aesthetics of today's modern consumer you know i thought a lot about clean lines timelessness the ability to layer and to provide so what i love about our semi-matte glazes and about our shapes is you get this really beautiful look in different times of day with different lights and different shadow Mm. and different compositions of stacking things. So like in this simplicity of four colors in this glaze, you can get so much variety of experience, of aesthetic experience, depending on like time of day, what you're mixing and matching, the meal you're having, the food. And these colors, I remember also like we have this midnight, which is, I I don't want to say I have a favorite glaze. I love all of them, but midnight took the longest to make. And Mm -hmm. so- I feel very attached to it in that way and protective of it. It's this like deep navy blue that sometimes looks black, sometimes looks more blue, which becomes a little bit complicated when you're talking about selling things online. Sure. That's kind of a separate tack. Anyway, nevertheless, I, I love that. I love that color. It has so much richness to it.
0: Is there something you felt that was missing in the market? Like in terms of, we talked kind of about the kind of range of things. I think the first stuff that I bought that was my own my own plates came from Ikea. They were fine. I mean, they're, you know, a lot of people start there and basic. Um, and, and so there are those like big incumbents out there that are just sort of like where people kind of go to, you know, most people probably don't think as much about plates as you and I do but uh, <laughs> they're just like they are going back to the primal but thing But why like, not
1: because they spend so much time with them no, I, and you're waking dis- hours <laughs> this is really the product that you I'm not interact with probably the most of anything else i'm in not your disagreeing
0: home. but what was the the gap that you felt was like unmet
1: yeah i mean i i think it really like practically came down to my own experience so i had moved from new york city back to san francisco where i grew up and I had hand me down plates mm. which broke in the move, and I was hosting a very small group for dinner. There were four of us, and I did not have enough tableware to set the table Wow and so it was I was actually initially very excited because I was like, "Oh, like i'm going to go out and buy myself beautiful table settings and because I've always loved the category and I'd had these beautiful hand me downs, I was like very excited to now put my own aesthetic footprint on in that category in my own studio apartment bachelorette studio apartment and the shopping experience was like truly abysmal so you could go to like an amazon uh totally overwhelming right like really no
0: curation or anything Yeah, no
1: curation no brand understanding no context you know mm-hmm. um around the pieces and then when i went to stores i was Actually it w- it wasn't that much better like you got to see and feel in person but I found the assortment size to be really overwhelming I found product education to be really lacking like I spoke about you know high quality stainless steel and forged knives and and hand finished fork tines and you know these are real quality metrics that change your your experience or improve your experience of like using flatware and yet you know walking into most stores you just see a price and it's really not there's no education around like why this costs 2X or 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 whatnot. And so that was really overwhelming. And then I guess just from an aesthetic standpoint, I really found a lot of the designs to be like old fashioned and dated. Then, you know, kind of like digging many layers deeper and, and going to more shops. I, I started to find pieces that I love, but they were really expensive. And the reality with plates is like, you know, as durable as they are, they're going to probably break at some point in time. Mm. And so just this idea of having you know objects that are so precious that you can't afford to break them that you right. use every day like felt counterintuitive to me or like it just didn't feel right to have this beautiful object that you're interacting with be too expensive to replace that would make you nervous to use it instead of pl- have that be a pleasurable experience i think there was another layer that's really a cornerstone of what we're building at year and day which is just this notion of like, what do I need? Mm. I also didn't really understand, like when you go out and buy all of these things, oh, like sure. sometimes you'll walk into so like- How many of
0: these do and what okay, yeah. assortment, yeah.
1: What should my assortment look like at home? Mm. And, um, and I didn't really trust the sales associates like at the stores I was visiting to like really understand what my life looked like as a busy working professional who like wanted to entertain, but didn't really like know how to like get my feet wet in terms mm. of the products that I should have. So all of those to me felt like real problems, <laughs> right. um, and you know I I am a pretty thorough person, so I spent a lot of time trying to find the solution elsewhere. And it was I had spent you know ten years after business school working in e-commerce and brand marketing. As I saw this problem for myself, I started learning more about the market, and I thought, okay, tableware is a seven billion dollar category in the U.S. If I'm having this problem, surely I'm not alone. Right, And then kind of the initial kernel of year and day was born and I started getting started. (laughs) How did
0: you, you were talking about um, the idea of, you know, making something that doesn't feel so precious that you can't, you know, if it breaks, it's like a a real problem. How did you land on the right price point that that you wanted to to go to market with?
1: Really, honestly, like it came down to first, like what's the best quality product we can find that we... Aesthetically believe in and we're excited about. So that was the ceramic with the glaze, semi matte glaze, and then given the cost structure of that, like what's the best price we can sell this for? The pricing really came down to yeah, delivering the absolute best value. Yeah, and you know I think that transparency and that wanting to build trust with our customers in the way of saying like we've done all this research, we have something that's like truly fantastic for your life, and like we're going to give enough markup to run our business but beyond that we want you to be able to have something beautiful at home and not be overwhelmed by the price and so the pricing exercise was actually relatively straightforward and you know we sell plates for $13 per so certainly you know you mentioned starting off at ikea which i think is like frankly really common and a lot of people come to us when they're ready to upgrade from ikea and they're thinking about supply chain and where Hmm. did this come from and who made this and what are the materials and you know at $13 a plate this is definitely you know a bigger investment than Ikea but for the quality and for the style and design and aesthetic I think it's you know the best value you'll find on the market today.
0: So when you went about trying to get this stuff made like you mentioned I think um, Portugal is is where a lot of it is made What's going on over there? Is there? Like, why is Portugal a place where this is happening just in general? Um, and also, how did you go about like discovering that and finding the right yeah. people to work with?
1: Um, so I started out, I went to trade shows and started meeting with suppliers from really all around the world and learning kind of what their processes were like and materials were like. And after that kind of global search, mm. um, Portugal really started immediately uh, bubbling up, especially in ceramics. I think I've been lucky now to travel there several times, you know, to see our suppliers. And if you go to Portugal, you can't help but see the legacy of uh, craftsmanship and ceramics on display, literally on the walls. So like wow. throughout Portugal, you'll find these beautiful tiles kind of as on the facades of churches and train stations and, and buildings. And this craft, this craft of, of ceramics has been there for centuries. Um, our, our, th- Factory has not, but I think the legacy of craftsmanship in ceramics is very long-lasting in this region of Europe. So that authority really uh, resonated with me. Beyond that, I think in Europe broadly, Portugal specifically, because I have more Uh, more experience there, there's more conscious conscientiousness about the environment and sustainability and production processes. So things like for our ceramics, save on emissions by only firing once rather than twice, which is uh, uh, quite common in a lot of ceramics making processes. They recycle clay waste. They're very mindful with like recycling water, et cetera. You walk into the factory, it's like 10 minutes from the sea and like full of skylights. Mm -hmm. And it's It's a really beautiful place that has the ethical and responsible manufacturing that was important to me alongside this uh, commitment to quality and craft that was also important to making a really excellent product. When it came to flatware, the, the, the heritage of flatware production in Portugal is not as long as ceramics. Um, I think it dates to the beginning of, you know, around the 1900s, I think is when the first f- factory was established there. Um, and yet in, in that period of time, I think there are about seven or eight factories that, mm. um, so there, there's like a whole area that's really come to specialize in, in flatware. And so there is a lot of expertise there, a lot of knowledge about um, making a quality product. And then similarly, you know, European stainless steel has the highest environmental standards of any stainless steel in the world. So we, by manufacturing in Portugal, use European stainless steel. Um, and so that commitment to sustainability and that process is important to us. And and then these quality metrics that I've spoken to, but like really do improve your experience of using flatware, like hand-finished fork tines and and forged knives. What
0: is hand-finished fork tines?
1: It's literally, you know, what happens when, when, when you make a fork. Yeah is you have a sheet of stainless much, steel please
0: go in as much detail because i she- would like to oh yeah i mean I, yeah. I,
1: I actually don't think i have any videos on my phone right now but we've we've taken you know we've yeah. gone and photographed the factories because i, I like to be able to mm. uh kind of uh, speak to the transparency uh, uh, and quality of that experience but there's a, so there's a sheet of stainless steel and for for our flatware we use four millimeter and three millimeter stainless steel so there's and it's 1810 stainless steel and mm-hmm. 1810 speaks to the nickel content. So the nickel content, a higher nickel content is a shinier product and, um, and in that way, kind of a more visually pleasing product. So we have the highest nickel content that is used in flatware plus the highest thickness, but it's a really nicely balanced product. So that four millimeter is used on, you know, the, uh, the big fork, big spoon and the three millimeter is used on the small fork, small spoon. Uh-huh. So the, they're purchased in these big, long sheets. Yeah. Uh, you know there's a mold that's made and it's it's a stamping process it's it's stamped out but Mm -hmm. so you can imagine you know if you stamp a fork out of a sheet of stainless steel that it's not going to be smooth in certain areas you need to you need to buff around that And, and and even there are mechanical processes that will do kind of the basic nuts and bolts of that. But when, if you think about the specifics of a fork, sure. tine, um, I, fr- I didn't
0: even know the word tine until just, yeah, now. yeah.
1: Yeah. Tyne. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you think about the specifics of that, uh-huh. there's the pointy edge, which like, you know, I think we've all had the frustration when you're at a restaurant or somewhere where there's like, you have a fork that can't really stab your salad. Sure. It's, like that arugula yeah. is just not mm. going to happen on that fork. Yeah. And so you scoop it up. It's just not a great experience. So if you hand, it, when you when you take the fork tine and you, and, and you actually hand polish <laughs> it. There's so much it, hand motion becomes- going on the,
0: for this auditory <laughs> medium. But it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should we really need to record a video of you doing the hand tine motion.
1: <laughs> well, we could, I, I don't know if I have a video of that exact process. But exa- <laughs> in any case, there are, it's literally hand, hand polished to make it pointier, which yeah. makes it, better at stabbing your food.
0: Yeah, that um,
1: I mean, it's it's like when you say it, it's like, okay, well, that's obvious. But the reality is, is it's so infrequently actually mm-hmm. done. And you, you can visibly see it in the flatware that many people own and buy. So it's those things became like, I just became maniacal uh, about it. So I needed to find a factory that had that
0: capability. Are there <laughs> other vocabulary words that you can share with us from your experiences learning about Cutlery and yeah, sure. Uh, let's talk about let's
1: talk about forged knives. Okay, so forged knives, you know, are, are knives that are are heated, shaped, and then cooled quickly, so that they they retain their shape better, which makes them stay sharper for longer and are better for cutting. Uh-huh. And that again, I'm like the lost art of what's no the, education. What, what, what is
0: like the more common way of doing it? That's Stamping. Not, you just stamp okay, it out. Yeah. So it's like that's that
1: rather than forge. So it's just an inferior mm-hmm. cutting experience, inferior mm-hmm. product. <laughs> and there's another piece that's that's a feature in our product that is kind of a wink to the heritage. Uh, we, we offer four finishes of flatware. So um, we have uh, a polished steel a matte steel and then a matte gold and a matte black and the the polished steel and the matte steel have a feature that is a hollow handle knife and a hollow handle knife is in the legacy of you know, flatware, the mo- most luxurious flatware. Yeah. So flatware historically, you know, ours is made of stainless steel. Stainless steel, you put in the dishwasher, it's you know, easy to maintain. But sterling silver has historically mm-hmm. been the la- most luxurious flatware you can buy and all this really ornate beautiful silver smithing has taken place you know we kind of talked you mm. talked about that a little bit um earlier but and sterling silver flatware can be so exquisitely be- beautiful it is really expensive sure yeah <laughs> and 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 really time consuming to care for because you literally have to hand polish silver and store it specially so it's for our busy you know lives it's just completely impractical both financially for most and you know in terms of care and maintenance for for most as well and so a hollow handle knife has a really nice feel in the hand. It has a really nice weight and balance. And so for our uh polished steel and matte steel knives, we also kind of brought in that legacy of of lo- luxury flatware. Now for the finished flatware, which is finished in a vacuum process. The vacuum machine actually you know the the hollow handle would explode in in the sheet, okay. machine. So we don't that we were not. And to be honest, I actually think the aesthetic of that of the monoblock knife, which is what we mm. we call the non hollow handle, the monoblock knife, suits those colors a little bit more. It's a slightly sleeker, slightly more contemporary look. So. So those are some elements. No, of, I, I, any more vocab you yeah, want to chat I, through?
0: <laughs> well, here, well, one thing that I've been wondering is yeah. like, and, and this has been a, a common pattern among guests on the show is like, uh, especially with Europe uh, kind of going back and looking at the, the craftsmanship there and bringing some of that to the the United States and thinking about how, how can that product that's been made a certain way for a long time be sold here. But it also kind of, automatically brings up the question of, like, is there anything, you know, in your research that you found out about the the production in the United States that, you know, has that changed? Are those jobs no longer happening here? Like, what's going on in, in the United yeah, States when I mean, it comes to that kind of manufacturing?
1: There, The legacy of manufacturing tableware in the United States, you know, there there was a lot of manufacturing that took place here for a long time. And then I think with the migration of manufacturing more broadly from the U.S., to Asia, a lot of those manufacturing, you know, capabilities were meaningfully diminished. There's still some in the Northeast flatware production capabilities. And I think throughout the country, in different pockets, you'll find ceramics being made at various levels of scale. In many ways, a lot of the that know-how has has left the US. Mm-hmm. So whereas it's it's very well preserved in Europe, um, both from a legacy of quality and craft, as well as a modernization of techniques to meet, you know, our goals for the environment in today's mm-hmm. landscape. And I think um, Europe has been more committed to those goals, yeah. At least, uh, at least of late. Um, and so, you know, those are value systems that aren't bordered. And so, I think bringing those products over from from Europe to our customers in the United States who value the quality of the craft, the commitment to sustainability is, um, you know, has has really resonated here.
0: As we mentioned with just sort of the history of the category and how long, you know, people have been making plates and cutlery um, or tableware it is an object out of many others that I think has the most like heirloom kind of stuff. Like a lot of people in their family have plates or like that get passed down, like probably more so than any other object. Uh, You're nodding a lot. I I just, I wonder, you know, we live in such a culture now that is so like everything has become more consumable as as a product. Like, I mean, fashion, obviously, but I would argue that fashion has always been somewhat like you know consumable and changing just not manufacturing on such a rapid time scale that it is today do do you what do you? Wh- how do you think about that balance when it comes to this category?
1: Well, I mean, I love a good family heirloom. Yeah. Um, and I think, but I think that the challenge is, um, it goes a little bit back to the care conversation we are having. Whereas a lot of the family heirlooms in plates, specifically, are this legacy of hand-painted porcelain, which is not dishwasher safe. Sure. Um, so if it's not dishwasher safe, the utilization goes meaningfully down for kind of anyone living in the modern world just because if you have an incremental hour of time, do you want to spend it washing dishes or doing something else? For most people, the trade-off is we'll kind of err on the side of not washing dishes. So I think what's been challenging is people have for generations kept these plates in the family and their grandmothers, you know, wedding china and their mothers and, and whatnot. And also, I think our square footage like people are living in smaller homes mm. and, and desiring to have smaller homes than uh, prior generations. And so like storage capacity is lesser. So like in previous eras where having multiple sets mm. was commonplace and there was space for that. I think nowadays people are have just less tolerance for that much stuff sure. and less space for all that stuff. Which isn't to say that there isn't some of that passing down still happening. But there was an article now it must have been a couple of years ago in the Times about a company called Everything Threat the House, which basically like would take after, you know, a family member passed. It would they would take everything but the house and then Mm. find it find a a marketplace to sell it. What it said was that people were having a hard time gifting these family heirlooms and plates to the next generation because of those issues. Mm. Space and maintenance. And and so, you know, I actually I I do sometimes spend a little bit of time thinking about what else could we (laughs) What else can those pieces be used for? Um, what do you have?
0: What are your ideas? So I,
1: I, nothing worth <laughs> nothing worth discussing. Okay. Because there's a lot of beauty and artistry in a lot of the designs. And some people are still collectors. I mean, there's an entire website called replacements.com, which is mm. about like buying. It's basically like a marketplace for buying discontinued plate patterns.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: so, so there's a whole niche for this. Yeah. I just think it doesn't extend well into like what the contemporary home life is yeah. about.
0: I guess I wonder when you're designing these objects, like are, how what's the timescale on which you think that they should be used?
1: Decades?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10, it,
1: 20 years? Longer?
0: It's Because it is an object where if you don't break it, like it still has I agree. function. It's not like, you know, a cell phone or something like that. Yeah. It can still be used. You
1: want a sense of timelessness. And yeah. that's, I spent a lot of time thinking about how do we... Design something that is beautiful that feels, you know, at home in in your in in your design aesthetic today, but that will still have, you know, relevance and resonance dec- in decades to come. Yeah, I believe we achieved that. I think one of the signals that we have achieved that is actually the product has resonated with a broader age demographic than I would have initially imagined. Yeah, that is really exciting to me, and I think you know it's not like fashion in that you may keep an object for a couple of years and some special pieces for a long time that you are collecting and, and cherishing. It is something that you expect to keep for a long time. And I love creating products that are really integral to people's lives.
0: My, pa- my parents have been, uh, they're selling our childhood house and they've been <laughs> been, there's some heirlooms and different <laughs> things that are coming out of the, the that move. Um, but one thing was my mom sent me Basically the, not the very first spoon and fork and knife that I had like those were probably you know really like kids ones but the first like adult sort of sized ones that I've ever had and I have them in a drawer here and I hadn't seen them in literally like twenty years Mm -hmm. and it was such a you know powerful experience to like hold that object in my hand. There's one of them. It's like a a fork that has a rabbit. It's like a it's like a steel uh, fork and it has this like rabbit carved into it or stamped into it.
1: I had that too.
0: You had that? (laughs) Sorry, I don't want to distract from the specialness of it. No, But I
1: think I know what you're talking about. I'll pull
0: it out of the drawer and we can take a look at it. Maybe you have the exact same one. I mean, it's probably mass produced. But it's one of those things where especially I think of like glasses and forks and knives are such a powerful object. There's not that many objects that you can use like from the age of like 4 to 18 or something like that. And because your hand changes so much, like it grows and then you hold that thing and you're like, wow, it's so much smaller than I remembered it to be. Um, are there any, I mean, maybe it's exactly the same fork. I'm going to pull it out and you're going to be like, yep, that <laughs> was the fork. But um, are there any objects like that from from tableware from your childhood that that you remember?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had, um, do you remember Peter Rabbit?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: My, my uh, I think we were gifted a set of Peter Rabbit plates
0: okay.
1: and a tea set uh-huh. a tea set is such an interesting <laughs> child play thing yeah. because i think it was initially born out of the idea that the children were playing after the things that the adults do but i don't know about that many people who like serve tea on the regular out of a teapot although it seems very elegant yeah you know my my mother actually loves plates <laughs> and so for me uh, as a child setting the table was like my chore mm. so Catherine it's Thanksgiving how should we set the table this Thanksgiving why don't you pick out the plates you know we we should use and so that's where I, and she knew them the brand name and or if they who they were gifted from and that was really what instilled in me this category is a meaningful and powerful category her patterns all of her patterns and collections which are not necessarily all my aesthetic but mm-hmm. like they all they're powerful to me because they for example, she had from my my father's mother these Christmas tree plates They're by Spode. It's a British company, UK uh, I don't English know. company. Yeah. They're they're kitschy. I mean, uh, but th- they have Christmas trees on them. And apparently, my grandmother for the entire month of December, all of the meals would be served on the, those Christmas tree yeah. plates. Why not? Uh, why not? Exactly. I mean, you, you get, <laughs>
0: if you have Christmas tree plates. You gotta bust them out sometimes. More
1: than just one day a year. Yeah. It's a lot to store for just one day a year. So. So even though again that's not an aesthetic that's that's my aesthetic those plates to me I love thinking about how my grandmother used them and that how my dad ate off of them when he was a child and then we did when we were children and it just there I love the legacy and story of that and and so you know that is why I think having a defined aesthetic and associating that aesthetic with a brand that people can remember and know and love and like has real meaning for them in their lives um, was really something I wanted to bring in a modern way for year and day because I felt like a lot of the brands that for example, resonated with my mother mm-hmm. they weren't moving into the modern era uh, for a variety of reasons, you know one being materials and 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 maintenance, etc you know, another being aesthetic, a third being distribution. I mean, they simply, you know, because they have relied for a long time on a distributor and then a department store, like many, sometimes often licensing, there's like a lot of middlemen in the process. And so their connection to the customer was so distant that when the digital disruption in retail began, they had no mechanism to even understand that they were becoming disconnected from their customer. And so as a result There was this place for a real community around setting the table and beautiful tableware products in digital and social channels and and a real void there that we're filling it year and day.
0: Obviously, I don't have any like stats to back this up, but it just feels like a thing that we're all talking about as a society is like we're moving towards this world where things are so much it's so much easier to be kind of like individually living in your cocoon of like I have a phone I'm on Netflix <laughs> at night I just like order things on postmates and now I'm just like living inside of this like uh there's a great story called The Machine Stops it's like Ooh. one of the best science fiction stories of all time it's like from 1907 and it's about that like experience of like everyone becomes like inside of a pod and just like talks to each other through Skype basically <laughs> there's a component to I think your brand, which is about sort of entertaining and bringing people together. And I think that's just like a very traditional, not traditional, but like human experience of just breaking bread and being together. Is that possible to like, go back to that in some way? Is it possible to move more in that direction? Yes. I don't know. How do do we do that?
1: Go forward in that direction. It's not back, it's forward. I think we have to make it Accessible and modern. And that, I think that starts with the confidence to extend the invitation and to think through what that entails. And so, for year and day, what we want to encourage is to think about like the minimum viable product of like home entertaining.
0: That's funny. Because it
1: is not about the frills. Mm -hmm. It can be. I mean, Setting a beautiful table can be a big, you know, form of te- self-expression in the same way composing a cool outfit or, you know, or whatnot can be. But for me, I I, I want the, pe- you know, f- those folks who don't feel inspired or inclined in that way to feel equally empowered to, like, send a text message to some friends for, like, a TV viewing party or yeah. Friendsgiving or a Sunday dinner. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be a potluck. You can order delivery but that notion of communing as a group and also in the home is so important. yeah. And it's age old and it is the future as much as it is the past. But the future can't look like the past because people don't have the time yeah. to spend preparing for these occasions, you know, at the extent that was kind of expected in like a Downton Abbey style entertaining. So with year and day, we're saying these plates are really beautiful. The flatware is really beautiful and super high quality. If you set the table with this, it will look chic. You don't Mm -hmm. need linens like and so have the confidence, open the door because that offline connection is like part of our humanity. We can't,
0: Yeah, we, no, have, I agree. We, can,
1: we have to go forward with it. And so like, you know, I'm hopeful that there will be other societal factors that bring people to the same end state, but like we're doing our part.
0: Well, I love the notion <laughs> of like, how do we lower the bar for people to like come together? And I think, I mean, one thing that is just like the obvious, like to me, biggest problem is just like in our generation, I feel like people have such, trouble committing to anything like it's like oh hey do you want to come over for dinner and it's like uh yeah maybe i don't know uh i'll let you know like at the last (laughs) at the last possible moment if i'm gonna come or not and that feels like probably one of the biggest like barriers that we need to solve for
1: i agree i mean i think that there's an element of how do we build accountability around the commitments we make to each other even if it's something as casual as come over for dinner on Sunday because ordering food or preparing food for four versus 12 is meaningfully different. And so like, you know, when you make a commitment, you make a commitment, but I think that there are ways even on like the hosting side to have flexibility around that. So like, whether it's like, okay, it's a potluck, everybody brings something or once everybody's over, you order a meal. So you can like right size the amount of food to the number of people, or it doesn't have to be about hosting a meal. Like that's another thing. Like Open a bottle of wine, mm-hmm. put some popcorn in a bowl. Like those are things that are like very scalable, Flex up, flex down. But to me, it's about like building community in your home. I think your home is like a reflection of your personal style in a way that um, tells your story and builds intimacy and connection in a much more like powerful way than connecting outside of the home. So it's like yeah. an important way of of connecting. I mean, listen, like there's so many lovely things to do and great restaurants and whatnot, but like the cadence of a restaurant experience is defined and the cadence of a home dining or entertaining experience takes on its own life. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's what makes that experience, especially in this era of like everyone seeing everyone else experience on like Instagram. And I think about something like Antelope Canyon, which I call, <laughs> I have this like theory of Instagram bingo where like people have traveled the world for like Instagram mm. bingo. Like, oh, okay, i yeah. hit Antelope Canyon. Like I've done like right. all of these different experiences that are like the shot that in this place. Right. And I think we're kind of, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're moving on to this notion mm-hmm. of like what are these experiences that are truly unique to us that we want to share. And I think home entertaining is like a perfect example of that. Yeah. Like there's no home like yours. Mm-hmm. It is a reflection of you and your style and who you are and where you've been and where you want to go. And having people over, I don't think you're defined by how fancy or fussy that is, but more just by the idea of creating the the community and the and the space to connect. So yeah, I think lowering the barriers to entry for that is something that we're really focused on because I really, I think it's important. I don't want us to go to the pod world. I know that uh-huh. we can, I know, you know, a lot of people have that, that fear, but I think that the desire for human connection and experiences are is, is real. Well, yeah. there's
0: one thing I've been doing Friendsgiving where I cook nice. every uh, like every year, uh, like Big Turkey, I would do the whole thing, um, you know, for the past like seven or eight years. Awesome. But that is like such an epic event on the calendar. It stresses me. out Already we're like in <laughs> August and I'm already <laughs> thinking about, okay, that's like so far away, but I, I'm already thinking about it. And I love the idea of like lowering the bar for that because, you know, it doesn't have to be that epic to be a thing. But then when I think about lowering the bar for it, what's nice about Thanksgiving is like everybody knows it's on the calendar, right? Like yes. it, it it's going to happen at that point in time. The the thing that I, I, I feel you're kind of alluding to it with Instagram, but it's just like there's new etiquette type of things that need to evolve, I think, or it's like oftentimes I don't want to impose on my friends. I, I, I know that they have like things on their calendar or they just need to like watch Netflix tonight. Um, and I don't want to impose on that. But I think that there's, there needs to be a new way to talk about these things and, and kind of come together, like making the connection part easier, I guess. Yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, I think one of the ways that, so I want to just uh, tell you quickly about a friend of mine who hosts Friendsgiving every year for over 10 years now here in LA and they get Popeye's chicken.
0: And oh it's delicious, gosh, yeah. and everyone is happy, yeah, yeah. and
1: like I'm sure your turkey is amazing. But if you're ever thinking about lowering the stress level around yeah. that, that's well, a crowd pleaser. I, li-
0: I like the stress <laughs> in a weird way. I've got a spreadsheet where it has like all of the dishes and what order they need to be in the oven and everything. It's it's gotten easier over time, but it's still an epic production, yeah. and it doesn't it, that 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 shouldn't be the bar.
1: Yeah, I I I agree. I mean, I th- so I, so one of the things we're trying to to do is. It's funny the word etiquette I sometimes have challenges with just because like the semantics around etiquette are so old-fashioned. Mm. So I almost want like want to invent a whole new set of words, but that would right. probably be challenging, but I think we need to do it collectively. Yeah. And so one of the things that we're working to do like on our social media channels and I think in future kind of editorial formats is to showcase the different ways that people bring others together. Yeah. So it's like Did you send a WhatsApp? Is it a text message? Was there a paperless post? Was there an email? Was it an in-person invite? All the way through to how did you pull off the tablescape to cleaning up afterward? Because- I don't think there's one, you know, there used to be things like, you know, the Emily Post guide, and that was like the one way that mm. everything had to be done. Well, I'm not talking about <laughs> etiquette Just on that like.
0: level. I, I think what, I mean, I think for, yeah, there, there's like another whole level of etiquette that is, that that's beyond me. I never lived in that world, so I don't even know, you know, what the proper thing is. But it's more like you were describing Instagram, and I think that we're we're in the process right now as we speak of like developing a new kind of awareness where we're like, in the beginning, when people were running around Instagram like doing the bingo thing, like you described, it was like the first time we had ever seen it, and we we're like, "Whoa, wh- wait, my friend is going where? What's going on? Am I, Is my life no no good anymore? Like, where? <laughs> what am I doing?" And then there's this like competition, but then you realize everyone's just like in the same race, and you're just like, "Oh, never mind. That person's just doing the Instagram thing." And so there's a new like meta awareness, and hopefully, like that meta awareness comes to become like the primary thing and that we reset a little bit.
1: And then we set some new norms around like what is, what are the stories we want to share with our communities? And like, I think these rituals, these nourishing rituals we have at home, because we've been talking a lot about like hosting and home entertaining, but like I am equally a believer in the importance of like a really fantastic morning coffee, tea ritual. Mm. Like, how do you, How are you connecting with yourself at home? And how are you having that meal with yourself at home being kind of equally important? Like these are real nourishing offline moments that are important to, to cherish and make special. And I think we are seeing, I agree with you, I think we're like right in this process of this moment where we're figuring out how we share and to what extent we share those kind of more private moments. So like what What do we keep for ourselves? What do we share on Instagram? What do we show? How do we show it? And alongside that, yeah, setting new norms for what it means to connect at home.
0: Yeah. What are you excited about for the next couple of years of year and day? What are you trying to figure out? What are the things that are (laughs) like the problems that you want to try and solve?
1: Yeah, I think I broadly believe that the way we live at home has made a complete shift. And I think it's the most visual way to describe it is just the kitchen has become the front of house space. The kitchen is where you entertain. It's where you spend time. And as a result, there are all these things that are on display that I think have been orphaned from a design style supply chain standpoint that need love, care, and attention. And um, so for year and day, I think we want to deliver products that make that room and those experiences really delightful. And... I think we will kind of expand the personalized shopping experience we deliver online and also start to experiment and play more with what we can deliver in an offline world as well. That's complementary to um, our online experience and community. And I'm just really you know, excited. I think the opportunity is massive and I'm really excited to be building the solution for today's consumer. Um, and I think that there is, you know, we've seen in tableware that there's A massive need. And I think that really extends beyond. So we're excited to continue to grow our business and and our team and make those home moments more meaningful and beautiful.
0: Are there any recommendations that you want to give to the people if they're trying to get into creating those moments with their friends or family, Mm -hmm. books, blogs, shows? I don't know. Like, What is the stuff that you look to to kind of get inspiration for what you're Pinterest, I don't know. Where do you go when you're trying yeah, to like, uh, create a, a mood?
1: Well, um, when I'm trying to create a mood, I mean, I spend probably too much time on Instagram. Uh-huh. It's like such a visual delight. you got
0: the algorithm that completely tuned to your uh, Oh, my Discover now.
1: feed is so, so good. <laughs> I'm just like...
0: Yeah, I, you've trained it. I
1: see so many great tablescapes and colors and homes and flowers and plants and seasons. I mean honestly, the places I go to get inspired are the farmer's market or good eggs I use a lot. So I'm mm. like, what's in season? What are the colors? What are the styles? And then like, that's kind of where I want to get my inspiration for what I'm surrounding myself with now. Right now I'm really into dahlias on my table and citrus and, you know, farmer's market is a place that I start produce is a place that I start. There are some bloggers, you know, again, I think like people have different aesthetics. I'm a huge fan of Athena Calderon, I spoon. She is a she sets really just beautiful, beautiful tables. There are some beautiful table setters out of the UK mm-hmm. that are a little bit more formal than my own personal style it's like the couture of tablescape. So it's like, it's just fun to see them go so over the top.
0: Tablescape is also a vocab (laughs) word that I had never heard until today. But but maybe my, my like when I'm thinking about food, the people that my brain goes to are are so much less um, kind of like aesthetically oriented. It's like Alton Brown and like Kenji Lopez. Like it's like very science. Like I want to try and figure out how to create the best whatever it is like Mm -hmm. talking about turkey i'm always like okay this year i'm going to like dry brine it so that the skin gets crispy and all this stuff like that's where my brain like geeks out um and then you know if the food is as good as i can make it then like you know, the table setting will come together and like the people will enjoy it. Um, so you have
1: the benefit of being a good cook who puts a lot of thought and attention there. I'm not a great cook, so I have to distract <laughs> you gotta start with
0: the from the food
1: by with the plates uh-huh. and the flowers. So that's kind of where I also like to order delivery and host that way a lot just because...
0: that That's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, again, like it just takes a lot of anxiety out yeah. of the entertaining piece for me. So like I have a couple of just go-to spots that i order from and like serve family style and i just you know <laughs> there's that scene from mrs doubtfire where like robin williams like serves the delivery on a plate and it's like a secret but yeah. i don't make it a secret
0: oh, i have to rewatch that i haven't such seen such a in good a long one time. it's yeah. so good yeah. um so mrs doubtfire is your inspiration really mrs. Is doubtfire are, yeah, okay. is
1: really you know my muse for <laughs> no but it's also i mean it, it takes all kinds i mean i have i have like a community of people who are like my muses who I build the brand for. And they range for like, from like people who I talked to before we launched who were like, Oh, I, I eat out every meal, but like Mm. I have a mug and I have a bowl at home. And I was like, I'm going to make that morning coffee, like cereal moment, like amazing for you. And then I have friends who are like, I love cooking a long meal. I love entertaining. Like I have a table for 12, like, Here's a picture of my tablescape, and like they're equally amused for year and day, and so like wherever you sit on that spectrum, like this brand welcomes you like and so I think like I don't know if I'll ever be like as turkey sophisticated as you are, <laughs> um, but I can equally participate in hopes hosting a friend'sgiving, yeah, and Maybe I'll do a Friendsgiving this year.
0: Everyone should figure out something that works for them. It's really, the, lowering the bar is what I'm really <laughs> like uh, excited about for, for people to come together.
1: Yeah, come together. Invite someone over, anyone who's listening. Send a text right now. Get a group, get a group over at home.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Catherine.
1: Sure thing. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, here are my, it's actually a knife and a spoon Ooh, that my mom sent me.
1: This is not the same as the one that I had. Oh, interesting. So it's a bunny and a puppy. Yeah. And the bunny is actually carved in, oh, they both are a little bit of a relief yeah. uh, piece.
0: But I hadn't um, seen this those. This is very
1: different than what I had actually. But these, these are like the bunny must, it's like the approachable child flatware animal. So there's different a, versions of it. I'll have to find a picture of my, I, my but mom just. it's not just, like
0: a complete kids, like, you know, those little. No, spoon. it's right
1: sized. It's but it's when eyes. I
0: hold, held that, I was like, oh, man, it's so much smaller than I remembered it as a child. Because, <laughs> you know, your hands just Pretty grow. substantial. Yeah, it's like a... Yeah, for I a kid,
1: know. I could imagine this feeling very adult. I, I
0: actually haven't... I got them from my mom about, I don't know, four or five months ago, and I haven't dared to eat with them. I, it's like they're so... They're so
1: charming. Of course <laughs> not. They're like... They're such heirlooms. Like They're, no, but they're but almost I, kind of too precious to eat with now. I, 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 di- mean,
0: I disagree. I think I'm I'm very much like kind of... Against heirlooms, like I think, okay. I think you should use the things.
1: You should use the things. And so, I, I really
0: now that I'm that I'm thinking about this, I should use this spoon. It's I, not I, too you, small
1: for you now. No,
0: it's totally fine. It's
1: totally fine. Maybe a dessert piece.
0: This dog, though, he's so cute. Okay, the dog is. They are adorable,
1: <laughs> and they are different from mine. But, but I guess bunnies are the flatware child theme that threads. Yeah. <laughs>
0: You'll have to share some photos if you can find them. I
1: will. I will find my mom just actually moved out of my childhood home. So I think they might unfortunately be in storage. But I'll see if I can dig something up.
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Ooh, one last thing before we go. I'm talking to you at home. What's your favorite brand these days? Is there something that you think is really well made? Or maybe someone that you'd love for me to talk to? Send us a tweet. We are at Lumi. L U M I on Twitter. We're making this show for you. So tell us what you want to hear and we'll make it happen. Thanks. See you next time.